Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Oh, thanks so much for joining us here on episode 71. And I'm excited to share with you another fantastic guest I met at Podcast Movement. So right up there with David Cadavi, Lisa Cummings, comes Angela Copeland. And she is going to be chatting about how to take charge of your career, to be proactive and intentional about managing that and ultimately being what she calls the CEO of your own career. So you're going to learn, one, warning signs that you're underappreciated at your job and how to deal. Two, a simple, powerful way to highlight your progress and set yourself apart at work. And three, some effective interview tactics. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash f 71 Here's a quick bit about Angela. Angela Copeland is a career coach and CEO at her firm, Copeland Coaching. She's host of the Copeland Coaching Podcast, columnist for the Career Corner newspaper column, and author of career ebook, Breaking the Rules and Getting the Job. Angela's personal career background gives her the breath to help job seekers with a variety of different needs, including finding the right job, interviewing, and offer negotiation. Here's Angela. Angela, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me. I love that you've really taken the the Copeland coaching brand and metaphor far with, you know, there's imagery, you know, I think the varsity letters on your logo and then photos of, of you on the basketball court. So I've got to ask, were you a big <laughs> sports player in high school, college, or what's the story? So I'll be honest, I was not. <laughs> I do happen to be naturally athletic, but I spent most of my time in high school and college studying so that I could get scholarships and I could get a great job. The one sport that I did do was actually horseback riding. So that's oh, fun. That you won't see on my website. Well, yeah, and I guess I don't really think of a horseback riding coach per se, <laughs> even though someone's got to be teaching people how to horseback ride, but they, maybe they have a different title. No, I absolutely, they're uh, typically referred to as a trainer. A trainer. Okay. I was thinking a docent, perhaps. <laughs> it, it sounds so regal. Horseback riding. Well, it looks so cool. Well, I, I know you have so much good stuff to share. So you've got the Copeland Coaching Podcast, boy, over 100 episodes with so many good folks there. And so I'd like to learn a little bit. So you've got a, a philosophy when it comes to managing your career part of life about being CEO of your own career. And that sounds cool and catchy, but could you kind of lay out a little bit of, of what does that philosophy mean and, and what are some of its implications that you find helpful? It's a really good question. Um, you know, and it's not just something that I sort of say on the site. It's really, truly how I feel. I think being the CEO of your own career is really not waiting for someone to give you a chance, not waiting for someone else to train you and just kind of going after what it is that you want to do and, you know, giving it a shot, you know, without waiting for your company to pay for training or for someone else to sort of give you permission, you know, to do something. It's just really digging in and kind of finding out on your own what you want to do and going after it. Okay. Well, I, I like that. And so word CEO really does conjure up an image of, you know, the buck stops with you. It's your life, your career, your decisions. And so you take control and ownership there. So maybe could you share an example or two from some of your clients who adopted that mindset and they found it helpful? I have a really fantastic client. He actually 
gave me permission to record a podcast with him. And so I talk about him pretty often and his name is Isaac. And Isaac, when he came to me, he was working for a university in a very administrative kind of role. And he'd always worked in that kind of role. His educational background was in higher ed. And he said, you know, I want to do something different. I just don't know what it is or how to get there. And we started doing, you know, of course, we worked on his personal brand first and how he was presenting himself. But then he started doing informational interviews with people in different fields. And in the end, he actually transitioned to working for a major hotel, Hilton. Hmm. He works in their corporate office and he actually works more on strategy and coaching franchise owners on how to do their very best. So Isaac was able to truly transform his career. And, you know, it was really interesting. I talked to him recently and I asked him sort of, what was the number one thing that you took away looking back? Because it was a few years ago that we worked together. And he said, you know, it was honestly forgetting about rules. He said, I always kind of followed the rules. People said, well, you have to meet these minimum requirements or you have to have this certain education. And he said, until we worked together, it never occurred to me that I didn't always have to follow the rules. That's powerful. Yes. And I hear it kind of often that folks believe you need a certain kind of a credential or a degree or a certificate. And what's been kind of surprising for me, because I used to kind of play by that as well, because I was good at getting them. (laughs) And I like school and tests and having people tell me I'm great. (laughs) That was fun for me in high school and college. But, uh, so often the certificates or whatever don't even matter mm-hmm. to folks in terms of they, they are kind of more interested in, can you do the job? Do you make my life easier? Do you produce results? No, I completely agree. You know, it's funny. When I graduated from college, I was going to college in upstate New York and I flew to Memphis, Tennessee to interview at the FedEx corporate headquarters. And they actually flew in two other people, other interview candidates and we had to interview against each other head to head for one position. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was like maybe 20 years old. And these people that I interviewed against must have been 40. Oh, wow. And they used all this lingo that I never heard before that had to do with things like revenue and marketing. <laughs> the night before, when I got to the hotel, I started reviewing the job description to sort of refresh my memory. And I realized that it said MBA required. <laughs> And I was like mortified. I felt embarrassed. Like I felt like, are they going to bring me in tomorrow and laugh at me? Like, why have they even wasted their money to fly me to Memphis? And it was so crazy because after the job interview, I was in the airport flying back to New York and I got a phone call from FedEx and they picked me, which was really surprising. I think at the end of the day, I was probably culturally a better fit. Uh, The other people were from Boston and they were a little harsher. I grew up in Oklahoma, so I think I had the more sort of Southern friendly vibe. I was probably cheaper because I was straight Mm -hmm. out of school. And the interesting thing was they asked us all math problems during the panel interview and you had to work out math problems in front of people. And it turned out I was the only one who got the math problems right. Hot dog. So (laughs) you don't always have to meet the minimum requirements. That's for sure. Well, that's cool. That's inspiring. 
Well, then tell us a little bit when you've got these podcast guests and you've got these coaching clients, you know, I'd love to hear some of your best takeaway you know, principles and tactics when it comes for sort of you're on the job and you want to to flourish in the sense of receiving uh, promotions, opportunities for new exciting roles and, and challenges and initiatives. Sort of what are some of your, your best practice tidbits along those lines? It's a great question. I mean, I think the number one thing that I've taken away from both clients and podcast guests is something really similar to what I took away from working with Isaac. And that is my clients and the guests that I talk to who are the most open about trying new things, they seem to be the ones who actually do the best. So they may not always be the most qualified. They may not always have gone to the best school or they may be a little bit of an underdog in some way, but they are open to new experiences. They're open to failure. They're open to being in an uncomfortable situation. That seems to me to be one of the biggest sort of differentiators. And I think also being able to think outside the box, being able to focus a lot on personal relationships. So often we think that success is going to come just from working really hard and putting our nose down. But it's not just that. It's about building those relationships, trying new things, being willing to suggest new opportunities to your boss. And again, sort of taking charge of your career as opposed to waiting for it to happen to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. And so that openness, I think, I imagine that that boils down to in many ways, courage. Like most people don't have as much openness just because they're afraid it's going to kind of they're going to screw it up. It's going to disrupt their kind of flow or groove or or habits. Or what do you think is the difference maker in terms of why some people are open and some people are not as open? You know, I think courage is is a good one. I don't know if it's just courage though. I think there is sometimes different people can see an ability to translate skills between different areas or they can see other kinds of connections. And I think it's sometimes those folks that are able to sort of observe and make sense of some of these differences that may be able to see, oh, you know, I have skills in this area that would work well in that area. Or it may also be, in Isaac's case, he had a great job. And so he had nothing to lose if he didn't get an interview or a job with a certain company. He had time to wait and he could be riskier. I also think there are situations like for me, for example, you know, I graduated with basically a computer programming degree right after the dot-com crash happened. Mm. And so I became very creative and that's actually where sort of my love of job searching started was that I had to look for other kinds of jobs because I had to create an opportunity that really no longer existed. Yes. Wow. That's exciting. And you pull it off and it's been going in some really cool directions as a result. So, and I think that's handy. You identify those commonalities or those bridges and and how those skills can apply into other spots. I'd also like to get a sense for when you're in the work environment and what are some of your perspectives on documenting your achievements or coming out looking fantastic during the performance review time of the year? Honestly, it's such an easy thing to do well at. And I think just so few people put energy into this particular area. So it's not too hard to excel. There are a couple things. Like, first of all, as you go through the year, it's really kind of maybe having a spreadsheet or some way where you document your results. 
And not just that you finished a project, but, you know, did you generate more revenue? Did you generate incrementally more sales? Did you beat your goals? Did you finish sooner than you had expected? You know, documenting those things as you go along and maybe even keeping them in a place that's not just on your work computer. So if you ever decide to leave, you still have access to that information. That's very smart. You might overlook that. Oh, whoops, it's gone. <laughs> no, I work with people all the time who are trying to update their resumes and they just don't have that information available. Anymore. Yeah. But what I really love to encourage people to do when they do go in for that review is actually instead of just showing up. So very, very often I've seen even top performers who think, oh, whatever, I did a great job this year. I'm going to go in and have a conversation with my boss. It'll be fine. And they go in and they, they have done very little preparation but you spend so much more time on the projects that you work on throughout the year, you should be spending a little bit of time at least on yourself and on promoting yourself because it makes a difference in terms of your salary, your future title, you know, the way that people look at you. I really recommend to my clients that they prepare a PowerPoint, for example, or some kind of a slide presentation that not only shows, you know, they've done that self-evaluation that's typically required on the internal sort of computer system, but that they break those things out, maybe even having some screenshots, demonstrations of how their projects made a difference within the company. And I think you'll find if you go in with even just a few slides, you know, that have some visual representation of what you did, first of all, you'll be the only person on your team who thought to do it. And second of all, you'll really impress your manager. That's so cool. And I like it because I imagine you want to frame that in a smart way, not so much like, I want to show you how amazing I am, but rather like, hey, you know, it's been a while since we've caught up and we've done a ton of things. So I just thought it'd be helpful to do a quick summary of some of the, the things that we've done just so that uh, we're on the same page. And I imagine as a, as a busy manager with a lot of responsibilities and people, that would be actually pretty helpful and appreciated. I also like what you said there in terms of drawing kind of very obviously or inexplicably the linkage between the competency or knowledge scalability thing that's being assessed, maybe a one to five scale or whatever, and particular things that you did. And so it's not, it's not so vague anymore. It's suddenly very specific with examples. Right. I mean, honestly, your manager probably hates that internal system <laughs> also. So when you show up with something interesting to look at and talk about, you know, that reflects the same thing that's on the internal computer system. I mean, it's great. It gives a great impression. And then you can keep a copy for yourself that you could potentially take with you to an interview or to show an employer at a future time. Excellent. Well, I'd also like to get your take here. I'm a little bit jumping around, but excuse me. These are what I want to know the most. (laughs) What I'm most interested in hearing from the master career coach here is when it comes to a lot of folks, they come to you and they are ready, maybe past ready slash desperate for a change in their Mm -hmm. career world. Could you Reflecting upon those clients' experiences, share with us, what are some maybe early indicators, a canary in the coal mine, if you will, for, hmm, maybe it's time to reshape my role or change roles because there are kind of signals of deep internal dissatisfaction that maybe we don't even recognize just yet. Yeah, it's such a big deal. It's funny. I actually write a newspaper column and I wrote about this topic this morning. So it's fresh fresh on my mind. Um, It's unfortunate. Sometimes we wait too long 
to decide to switch jobs. And sometimes I'll have clients come in and man, they're ready to quit their job. And it's so much easier to find a job when you're still employed. Many people don't think about it, but if you quit, even if it's your choice and your decision, a future employer may wonder, you know, what happened or were you really, you know, did you really quit or were you fired? That kind of thing. So I think it's really important to pay attention to these signs ahead of time before you feel that way. And some of the things that I would look for, one is if you feel underappreciated, if you feel micromanaged, if you're noticing that, gosh, you're not actually getting promotions or raises at all. Or if, for example, if you apply for a promotion and you're being told that you're given a courtesy interview or hmm. you know, just generally if you're being overlooked, because unfortunately what I see with a lot of clients is that at least initially they think, well, I can make this better. I can fix this. I can sign up for more classes or I can learn to be a better leader or I can whatever it is. And in reality, sometimes those same clients are really doing a great job and maybe they've just gotten under a manager that didn't hire them and doesn't really appreciate their strengths. Or maybe there's some other organizational issue. You know, I once had a client whose boss, you know, had an anger problem and was throwing things at the wall. Oh, wow. And this client had really been putting up with it to the point where they would, this person would cry when they would talk about the situation at work because the boss was so aggressive and it was a, you know, a corporate professional environment. And so when you start to see signals like that, it's time to go. I mean, mean, you want to start making a plan at least, but you give yourself options because if you wait till the point that you're just, you can't get out of bed in the morning, you're crying, you're so upset. That's not the time that you're going to put your best foot forward interviewing. It's not going to make the best story about why you want to leave it's going to cause a lot more problems than it would if you would be a little more proactive and look a little sooner. And honestly, my recommendation would be to always be networking and always be looking because you just never know what you might find. Okay. So some of those warning signs are being overlooked, told it's a courtesy interview, not quite getting the respect, credit, et cetera. So it seems like the warning signs are not so much about what you're feeling inside, but rather what you're observing in your environment about your level of desirability or appreciatedness, respect from your manager and others around them. I would agree. I think also in this time of change, it's important to watch for signs that maybe your organization is struggling financially or that they've been reorganizing quite a few times because, you know, I've talked to a number of people lately who I talked to someone just last week their entire company randomly with no notice shut the doors and just said, everyone, we're done here. So again, don't wait until the company walks you out of the building, you know, pay attention to those signs that you're the one in the driver's seat and you can make decisions based on what works for you, not because you have to pay your rent and you just have to have something. Oh, perfect. Well, to wrap up, I would just love to, I guess, conclude more scatteredness. If you could share, what are some of the most amazing 
or unexpected or brilliant kind of tactics that you've picked up along the way from your podcast guests or your clients that they really seem to find effective when it comes to just anything in the the job hunting or career flourishing world from resume bullets to interview questions to means of doing the networking. I'm imagining that there may be a couple uh, secret weapons in the Copeland coaching arsenal. And if you're comfortable sharing any of those, we'd love to hear them. I think one of my very favorite tactics is to not necessarily apply online and instead to try to find that hiring manager. And sometimes that means, you know, searching them out on LinkedIn. Sometimes it means trying to figure out what their company email address is, or sometimes it even means going and being a guest in the audience at some place, you know, that they're presenting so that you can introduce yourself to that person. Um, So it's not sitting back again and waiting for someone to hand select you out of a big pile of resumes that came in online, but it's instead, you know, making yourself look a little different and a little more special, a little more excited. Oh, that's good. Any more? The best are things that are really creative. Like, for example, if someone is interviewing at like an advertising agency, for example, making a little portfolio of your work that you could leave behind as you leave the interview or making an online portfolio of your work that you could send to people. One that I really like, but is a little tricky for those who are currently employed is actually making a video resume or a video sort of introduction of yourself and tweeting it, for example, out to the company. Finding a way to sort of get yourself in front of the company in a non-traditional way that separates you from everyone else. Lovely. Well, Angela, you tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure you put out there or should we shift gears right now into the fast faves? Oh, that sounds great. Let's shift gears. Could you start us off by sharing a favorite quote of yours? Probably my favorite quote is by Eleanor Roosevelt. It actually sits on my desk every day and it says, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. All right. And a favorite study or experiment? There are so many great studies that Glassdoor.com puts out and they recently had one that was excellent on sort of the divide and pay between men and women that I really liked and I definitely recommend everyone check out. All right. And a favorite book? Gosh, I think my favorite book would probably be Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, that's fun. And a favorite uh, tool or hardware, software, something you use often? I use, and this is more, uh, pertains more to my business. I use Sprout Social to help me with scheduling a lot of my social media. I really love that. But for job seekers, I think probably my favorite tool is just the plain old LinkedIn. You know, you can really connect to a lot of new people that way. I've been loving LinkedIn more and more. Uh, (laughs) I'm a gold member now. They got me. Oh, you are. They got me. And it's been worth it. It's been worth it. No regrets. And how about a favorite sort of resonance nugget, either in your book or your podcast or with your coaching clients, like something you share that just really gets them nodding their head, taking notes and saying, oh yeah, Angela, that's brilliant. Well, there's one that's really simple, but kind of a little unexpected that I've written about and gotten a ton of feedback on which is, I don't know if you know this, but sometime in the past, we went from everyone typing two spaces after a period to just one space. And that's something I didn't know, but apparently those who do know assume that the double spacers are ignorant, I guess you could say. (laughs) And so as you're applying for jobs and things, it's really important that you always, as you write sentences, that you just put one space after a sentence, as after a period, as opposed to two. And I know that's so random, but 
It got my attention after two different sets of editors pulled me aside and said, wow, your writing is great. This is atrocious. And I just, (laughs) I I couldn't believe it. And so I work with a lot of clients who have never heard that and had no idea. Well, you know, it's so funny because I was always a double spacer and I don't even remember consciously making a choice. Now I'm a single spacer. That transformation happened somewhere along the lines without any drama. But I guess you had the editor bring it front and center. Well, yeah, it's interesting because growing up, my typing teacher was very emphatic that it had to be two spaces. It was very, very important. And that's how other people I know, you know, that was their experience too. But now I have an ebook and when my editor reviewed the ebook, that was her feedback initially. And I'll be honest, I ignored her because I thought it's just a difference of opinion. Uh And uh, then I started writing my column and I went in and met with the editors and the publisher uh, where I write my newspaper column. And I said, you know, I'd love any tips you could give me. And they said, oh, your writing is great. But the way that you do the periods and the two spaces is horrible. We have to get it every time. And I, I couldn't believe it. Like, but that was a real thing. But if you, if you look online, there are entire articles and things written on this topic where the single spacers are really looking down at the double spacers. So... It's surprising that it's like such a big deal. <laughs> I don't know if you watched the TV series Silicon Valley. It cracks me I up. I have, yeah. Oh, I'm thinking <laughs> tabs versus spaces. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, I'm going to say, I didn't know. Thank you. Any double spacers out there will quickly abandon that practice yeah. thanks to that. Believe it. Don't make <laughs> everyone tell you. <laughs> and what would you say is the best way to find you if folks want to learn more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, they should visit my website, which is www copelandcoaching.com. I have a free newsletter there, a free podcast, and I do also a free weekly career advice column. So there's a lot of great information that you can find there as well as my ebook. All right. And maybe a favorite challenge or parting a call to action for those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? I think a really great challenge would be to start to identify what your strengths are, strengths that are unrelated to your particular job function. And uh, those are strengths that may translate between different industries, different job functions, things that make you really good at your job. I would start to think about what those strengths are. And if you have never looked at it before, a great book to check out is The Strengths Finder 2.0. Mm-hmm. I think you can get it on Amazon. Inside of the book, there is a code so that you can take a quiz online and it helps you to identify those strengths. And I think they're really helpful to think of whether you're thinking of doing better at your current job or you know, transitioning into something new. Mm, perfect. Well, Angela, thank you for this. This has been a lot of fun and I, I wish you tons of luck with uh, the Copeland Coaching Empire. Oh, Pete, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Well, I hope you're seeing some themes there. Lisa mentioned strengths as well. So did Angela. And they're so helpful and powerful to zero in on that. So if you haven't taken the Strengths Finder 2.0 assessment, totally recommend checking that out and or just doing some good reflection, identification of your own strengths. So once again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items mentioned, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep71. And if you have not already, push that button for subscription. Now would be a great time, if I may, so you don't miss out from cool guests like our next one, Lisa Bedell. She's talking about reducing complexity at work and liberating more greatness. So meetings, emails, oh my, too much. Uh, Lisa's got some great perspective on tackling that. So hope to catch you then. Peace out. 
Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 